I uh, took my coat off. I didn't know whether to wear it this morning because yesterday was hot and now they're calling for snow. I don't know what to do anymore. Um, so, but it is feeling a bit warm in here. Uh, but good morning, everybody, again. Uh, I would like if everyone would please in their Bibles turn to the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. And today we'll be looking at verses 25 through 35 today. Uh, so again, Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple." Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, again, as we come here today, as we come to your word, we come humbly uh, we come confessing to you our sin, asking you for your forgiveness, and thanking you for the mercy and grace you've given us through your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary. We pray, Lord, for your wisdom uh, in understanding your word and being obedient to what your word teaches, that you might be glorified in us and through us in all that we do. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought it fitting to go over this text uh, today, being that this is, of course, New Year's, and, and every New Year's it's a time where people come up with their resolutions and the things that they hope to do this upcoming year. And as we think about discipleship and what it means to be a Christian, it is a call to a commitment. But sadly, a lot of times with our New Year's commitments, you know, how long do those typically last? I mean, I know like now, yesterday was, you know, if people wanted to lose weight and get started, yesterday was a great way to go running. 
Um, not so much tomorrow, from what I understand. Um, but, you know, typically what happens is we might, you know, make commitments, but then oftentimes we don't follow through. And that's very sad. And Christ, when he calls us to repentance and faith in him, he is calling us to a committed relationship with him. And it's important that we understand what that commitment requires, that that, that commitment to Christ does not become, like so many other New Year's resolutions, just another failed commitment. There are three things about the committed Christian life that I want to talk about today as we look at this text. The first of those is understanding that the call to follow Jesus is a call to sacrifice. At this point in Jesus' ministry, you'll notice in verse 25, it speaks of great crowds accompanying him, you know, as he was traveling. You know, at this point in his ministry, Jesus was a pretty popular fellow. People were coming from all around to hear him, but not just to hear him, but they, you know, of course had heard stories of Jesus' miracles and his healing power. And so oftentimes that would be enough for people to come out and say, you know, yeah, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to, you know, he can heal me. He can do these things. And at this point, as Jesus is ministering, ultimately, though, he himself was heading to Jerusalem in terms of where his ministry was going, to Jerusalem and ultimately to the cross. That Jesus didn't just come out in his ministry to be adored and be popular, but ultimately Jesus came to suffer and to die for us. And so at this point, Jesus offers this teaching, and and he says this to them, to all these crowds that are, you know, seeing him as this great figure, he, he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. You know, that's pretty strong words. And it may make you wonder, you know, why, why this in particular does Jesus call attention to? In one sense, we might even see it as, isn't this a contradiction of Scripture? Doesn't the Word of God say, honor your father and mother? And here Jesus is saying, hate your father and mother. Now, I don't think Jesus is trying to speak against the commandments of God, but what he is trying to point out is that if we do not prioritize him above all else, then we do not truly understand what it means to love family and to to love the things of God. When we think of idolatry in Scripture, one of the chiefest sins, when you, you think about it, when you look at the Ten Commandments, and it begins with recognizing that the Lord is God, and we're not to have any other gods before Him. Idolatry is not simply evil because we we elevate bad things above God. Idolatry is evil because often we elevate worse things above God. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all recognize that family is a good thing. The scripture teaches that family is a good thing. God himself created family. He created relationships. 
But there are times where those things that God has created as good can become worshipped above the Creator who created all things. What Jesus is saying here is that in order to have everything in its proper order, God must come first. Jesus himself, if we are to be his disciple, Jesus must come first. Family is good, but if Jesus is not first, then family cannot properly be taken care of and appreciated. But not only does he speak of family in this, he speaks of our own lives. And we recognize that oftentimes selfishness leads to a lot of the disruption in our lives. Selfishness leads us not to God, but away from him. And that sounds very much contrast a lot to what in our culture today often people you know, try to teach in terms of Christianity. Oftentimes it's like, you know, add Jesus to your life, he'll make your life better. In the sense that it's more, you know, you're happy with certain things in life and Jesus is just another thing to add to that to make your happiness that much greater. But that's not what Jesus is teaching. He's not teaching that he is something to be added He's teaching that true joy and satisfaction is something that can only be experienced through a right relationship with God. And if we do not crucify the flesh, we will not experience that true joy and peace and contentment that comes from knowing our Creator and being reconciled to Him. The call to follow Jesus is a call to sacrifice. Not only is it a call to sacrifice, it is a call to a costly sacrifice. And Jesus uses two illustrations to highlight the need to evaluate the cost of following him personally. He mentions two examples here. He he mentions speaking of building a tower, and he says, Do you not sit down and count if you have enough? to complete the tower you wish to build. Or even he gives the illustration of a man going to war and he says, if you got an opposing army, do you not first sit and see, do you have enough resources to win the battle? Otherwise, it's a lost cause. There are certain decisions we make in life that require taking time to evaluate whether or not we are capable of following through with it. You know, one of the most frustrating frustrating things I've experienced in the past couple years um, working at Lowe's, and I'm sure, and I've been sitting on this illustration a while, so uh, one of the things that I, I see a lot of, and I've seen a lot of, and it's really frustrating to me, there'd be people who come in and, and in their minds, they got, you know, I want to do this. I want to do this flower garden. I want to do this patio. And they, know, and they know they need materials, but they hadn't, but they just come in and they see the materials and they're like, all right, I'm going to get this and this and this and this. And sometimes I ask, you know, how many, you know, there's one lady I remember one time, how many bags of, of this rock do I need to, to do it? And I was like, well, 
How big of a space are you trying to do? You know, what's the, what's the size? I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, you should figure that out before you start buying things. The other thing would happen is that people would come in and buy things, but they wouldn't buy everything. And part of that is I don't think they figured out what they needed to begin with. So they come in and they buy some, then they have to come in and be like, well, we didn't have enough, and they buy some more, and then they come back, and we still didn't have enough. Well, I'm like, well, didn't you sit down with a piece of paper and measure it and calculate it? And a lot of times the problem would happen with that is there is limited amount of materials. And during this whole mess we've had, and, and I can understand a lot of people are thinking, well, I can only afford this much, so I do it piece by piece. And the solution to that is I would say save your money until you have enough, then buy it. Don't do it piece by piece. And I say that because we had one situation where, you know, family, they started it. Then not only did we run out of the materials, the materials were discontinued. So how are they going to finish the project now? And that happens. You know, a lot of times people, you know, get frustrated coming in the stores, but we have a seasonal section. It's seasonal and every year it changes because from a store perspective, you want people to buy more stuff. So you don't sell the same thing over and over. You change it because the next year they might be enticed to buy something different, something new. I mean, that's just the practice of the business. That's how it goes. The store needs to make money to pay its people. I mean, and I, and I say all this just, just to point out the foolishness that happens in life when people don't take the time to calculate and to think and to plan. And that's something, when it comes to making major decisions that cost you, that is very important to do. And Jesus is saying this in terms of being his disciple. It's not something that you can just say, you know, yes, uh, you know, I'm going to follow you, Lord, today. That sounds like a great thing. I'm just going to jump in. And then you find out what it mean what it means and what it takes to be a follower of Christ we need to understand that making commitments we can't keep is foolish and Jesus goes on to restate following this illustration that following him is costly Verse 32 goes on, And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation, asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now, in renouncing what we have, that doesn't mean we dispose of everything we have. That's not Jesus' point. As Christians, we recognize that we are stewards of our possessions, not owners being a Christian involves exercising wisdom with what we have. That the things we have are of this world, they're temporary and fading away. Jesus elsewhere teaches, again, store up for yourselves, not treasure on earth, but treasures in heaven. We put Jesus first, living for him and not for this world. You know, the world is all about, you know, hoard things, store up for yourselves, do all this for yourself. 
Build yourself a kingdom that will ultimately crumble to dust. Jesus is saying, be part of his kingdom that is forever. But understand, being part of his kingdom means releasing your own. So not only is the call to follow Christ, it's a sacrifice, it's a costly sacrifice. It is also a call to a lifetime of commitment. Jesus ends here giving us an illustration about salt. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, one of the things I learned about salt, in and of itself, salt does not actually lose its taste. But in the ancient world, oftentimes salt was mixed with other things, and if it was mixed with water, it did lose its taste. In other words, Salt in and of itself is is good, but it can be diluted, and if it's diluted, it loses the thing that makes it itself. In comparing this to discipleship, you know, that, that commitment that we have, if we are committed to Him, we are His. We retain being his. But if we're not committed, it's like that salt that's getting diluted. It loses its quality. It loses its value. Now, what good is a Christian who fails or ceases to be a Christian? What good is it to start out, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus and then the next day, eh, forget him. I'm going to go do my own thing and go my own way. What have I gained in that? It's like even making that half-hearted attempt just amounted to nothing. It's interesting here, Jesus ends with this saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And, And what he's really driving home is, The true disciple of Jesus is someone who will hear and obey. Christianity is not a passing fad, but a lifetime commitment. And for the person who is a believer in Christ, the commandments of the Lord must take priority in our lives. Now, as I say this again, I talk about this is a year of commitments. And a lot of times we want to encourage people to commit to Christ, to trust in Christ, to believe in Him. And now as you think about that and you go back to what we just read, seems like everything I just said was a reason not to. Because I just basically pointed out being a committed Christian means losing out on a lot. It costs you everything. You give up a lot. So why would anybody make this decision? Why would anybody choose Christ? And I do think it's important that we, again, analyze that question. Why choose Christ? Understand, first of all, what it means to choose him. But then also understand why we do. 
in connection with this, I was thinking a lot too with um, this particular verse comes to mind to me as well. And this is in John chapter 6. And also deals, you know, Jesus' popularity. There were many crowds that followed him. But then at one point, Jesus starts teaching and he points out in chapter 6 of John, he talks about his body being the bread and his blood. You know, his, his body and blood being food. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood will have eternal life. Now, that's a very shocking thing Jesus is saying. And, and again, Jesus wasn't speaking literally eating his actual flesh and drinking his blood. But what he was pointing out is that he came to this world to be a sacrifice for us. That if we are to have a part in his kingdom, we must partake of his sacrifice that we do by faith in him. But often people heard that and they were like, this is kind of a hard teaching. And you see in, at the tail end of John chapter 6, people were hearing this and they were grumbling and they were offended and they were saying, you know what, I'm out. The stuff you're telling us, Jesus, is hard to take. And so often, you know, so we see people were starting to bail. His popularity was starting to wane. And it's interesting you have in, in John 6 and verse 60, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it would and who it was who would betray him and he said this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by the father after this many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him so Jesus said to the 12 do you want to go away as well Simon Peter answered him lord to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. You know, as I talk about what it means to be a Christian and as hard as it is, the cost of following Jesus is a high cost indeed. And it is one that we must contemplate and think over as we make our decisions in our life. But, again, why we decide to follow him, we recognize who he is. That whatever sacrifice we're called to pales in comparison to the worthiness of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. We believe in Jesus not because he makes our lives easier here. We believe in Jesus because we know we have life in him and him alone. Jesus saves our souls. He forgives our sins and he gives us eternal life. A challenge to everyone today as we think on this 
you know, again, many of us, maybe you've walked with Jesus for years. And I would encourage you, continue committing yourself to Him. Continue following Him. Continue walking with Him. Understand that, again, whatever sacrifice you're making in your life is worth it. Because Jesus is worthy of your worship and your praise. If you've never trusted in Jesus before, again, I'm not telling you to just, you know, trust in Him because it'll make your life better. I'm telling you the facts of the matter and the truth is being a Christian is a call to repentance. It is a call to denial of self. It can be difficult. But understand that Jesus Christ alone is our only hope of eternal life and peace with God. Wherever you are in your life, I pray that this year you may commit to following Jesus seeing his worthiness and living for him and not make it like every other New Year's resolution that falls by the wayside, but hold on to him firmly as he holds on to you. And let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are a great and merciful God, that we recognize that we do fail in our commitments that we do fall short, but you sent your Son into this world who was a perfect Savior, who was truly committed, that he endured. He came to this world, he humbled himself as a babe in a manger, that he grew to stature and died on that cross of Calvary, and on the third day was raised again, and he ascended into glory. We thank you, Lord, for this perfect Savior you you have provided, that he is worthy of all our worship. Help us in our lives as we struggle with idolatry and things that try to distract us from you. Help us to recognize how little value the things of this world have and how supremely valuable Jesus Christ is, that we may live for you each and every day, joyfully praising your name. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.